everybody welcome to believe build conquer with sykes i'm your host sykes and i've got a very special guest here today she is an end of life doula and we'll explain a little bit about what that is if you're not familiar with that but i'd like to welcome sarah miller to the believe build conquer podcast how are you doing today sarah hey i'm doing great how are you I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. You know, uh, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Uh, me and Sarah's had uh, a really good conversation a couple weeks back um, about grief. Um, as many of you know, uh, I do grief coaching. And uh, a lot of you who have listened to the podcast for a long time are familiar with my story. So we're not going to go back into that today. Uh, but uh, Sarah is an end of life doula and I'll have her explain a little bit about that. But uh, my short take on that is it's basically th these are some wonderful human beings that help people who are at their end of life stage transition into the next phase of their existence. So and um, this is something that not a lot of people can do. Um, and in my personal grief coaching it's not something I've actually thought a lot about. So I was very intrigued when I talked to Sarah a couple of weeks back. And so I'll kind of just uh, let Sarah tell you a little bit about what she does and uh, we'll just kind of go from there. So, uh, you know, the floor is yours, Sarah, just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and uh, what an end of life doula is. Great. Thanks. Uh, so an end of life doula is a spiritual and emotional companion to those who are dying and their families. So this can look like a lot of different things. And I often like to say that every doula has their superpower. Um, it can be anything from helping somebody who's passing um, plan for their, their end of life, create almost like coaching, create goals and, and um, just create a plan that helps them feel fulfilled to holding vigil with somebody who's actively dying and helping give the family respite care to educating families and, and those who are dying about the process of dying and what may come up physically, emotionally, and spiritually, to even some doulas specialize in after somebody's passed and helping, helping families clean out the house or, or plan, you know, estate planning, figuring out how to close all of the accounts, all of those things that come up after death that kind of hit you at the side, you know, on the side of the head and you didn't know what's happening. So every doula has, has their own superpower. Some will do the whole process. Uh, I, I have friends who really love to hold vigil. I have others who, who you know, do that after death care. Um, me personally, I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in the coaching aspect of being a doula. I really like working with clients to kind of help them assess where they are, to hold space for them in whatever they're feeling and giving them a, a safe and non-judgmental place to process that. And, and help them kind of feel, feel as prepared as they can for their end of the life, end of their life. That's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, and, th you know, this is something I'm not sure a lot of people know about. I mean, we, we have heard in more recent times about um, the, the, the ideas of, about midwives coming in for br the bringing in of life. Um, and so often, you know, I, I found uh, th through my time doing work with uh, grief that many folks are really uncomfortable with talking about it. And, that, and that's understandably so. It's a very confusing 
thing that happens in life. Uh, there's so much uncertainty uh, and that can vary based upon, you know, your faith or your, just your personal beliefs. Um, so, so that can be a very challenging thing to talk about. And uh, I really love what you're doing because I think what this does is I believe that it helps not only um, those who are dying to realize that even in their final days, that they can still achieve, that they can still create fulfillment in their life and do things, even though that might seem minor to those of us who are very healthy and able-bodied, but, you know, even just in the final days, just having that conversation you would like to have or sharing a story that you would like to share can be just as monumental as for another person winning, a, you know, a gold medal or, uh, you know, achieving that major promotion that can still have that sort of impact on somebody at the end of their life. So I think that's really amazing that, that you do this with people and that there's people out there that want to help with that because I imagine, and I, you know, I don't know, but because obviously I'm sitting here, but I imagine that, you know, in, in the dying process, that for some that could be a very lonely thing, like a, a lonely time of uncertainty. And I guess I would ask, do you find that with this, that people, do you, do you see varying degrees of that? Some people are very at peace. Others are very scared. Um, what, what's your experience with that? Yeah, so absolutely. And, you know, death is such a strange thing, right? It's, it's the only thing that we're guaranteed in life other than maybe taxes, but even that's debatable. Um, <laughs> it's the only thing that's really guaranteed, yet we spend so much, especially in, in Western culture, we spend so much time kind of avoiding it or, you know, don't take the kids to the funeral. They can't see grandma in a coffin. That's not okay for a kid to see or whatever it may be. So because of that, there are a lot of people that when it comes to that time, they're just so like what I'm, I can die. I never even thought about the concept of me dying. Right. And especially if we haven't really been exposed to that. So some people, they are very resistant. I know, for example, my, my grandpa, he had pancreas cancer and was actually my inspiration for becoming a doula. And he just, he did not want to go. He was, he was petrified. I remember up until maybe the last week of his life, he's thinking, Oh, maybe I can get better. Maybe, maybe I'll beat this. And it was, it was really difficult to experience kind of watching him be sick and go through that. And when it finally came to the time where he, he lost consciousness and was kind of in those very end stages of dying, mm -hmm. he, he fought it, you know, for like three days, I slept by his bed and in a chair and just, he would toss and turn. He was just very agitated and we would go over and we'd say, it's okay, grandpa, you're going to, you're going, you're going to a great place. Like you're going to be safe. It's okay. Whatever we could to comfort him. Um, and when he finally did go, it was this really beautiful moment where he just kind of like opened his eyes and looked up to the corner and took his last breath. But, but all that is, is to say is there are people who even until the last breath, they fight it. Um, there are other people, you know, I have I have a friend who's who currently has um, kidney failure, and he has just taken this amazing approach to death where he, he decided three months ago, I'm dying, and I'm going to kind of take this experience and make it my own, and went and cleaned out his entire house, gave away all of his possessions, um, you know, did a lot of healing. Like, I helped him with cleaning out his home over the course of a couple weeks, and he had a lot of stuff. Like, we got rid of a lot of stuff. And 
surprisingly, be, through his acceptance, he's actually doing really well right now health-wise and is able to have a good quality of life. So I think what I look at in the role of doula is it, it is to help people kind of like feel more comfortable about what they're going through. And something that also often happens with people towards the end of their life is it, they become the counselor for everybody around them. And I, I was guilty of this when my grandpa was dying. I called him every day, almost sobbing. And I'm like, please don't die. Don't leave me. Like, you know, just, I couldn't even handle this thought. And, and when that happens, you know, he's my grandpa. He wants to comfort me. He wants me to feel better, but then who's there for grandpa when he's, he's having these feelings. Right. So what I look at in the role of doula is it's a lot of, you know, the person who's dying is probably doing a lot of comforting of people around them. Um, who's there to kind of hold space for the person who's dying. And, and to, I think a big piece of it too, is like, how can we, how can we approach this phase of life with dignity? Right. And something you touched on that I love that you said is, you know, we're basically, we're still alive till we're dead. Right. Like just, even if you're in the last few weeks of life, you're still breathing, you're still alive. There's still things you can do. There's still dreams you may have people you want to see things you want to say, and I think a lot of times people forget that, especially, especially when you're sick and you're not really feeling that human anymore. You have, maybe you're in the hospital, maybe you're on a lot of medication and it's just kind of taking that humanness from you. So one of the things I often think about is what can I do to make you feel more human and make you feel more, have dignity in this phase of life. And a lot of that is really, it's simple things like, grandpa, tell me about how you met grandma or, you know, tell me about your favorite story in life and just bringing them back to these places and time like anchors and time where, where they had happiness or joy and, and sharing that with them so that they're able to feel, feel that comfort of, oh, you know, I lived a great life or these are the things I regret and, and let's hold space for that or all the things in between, right? Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I'm really glad that you brought that up too is, is the fact of, you know, even at the end, like it's, it's about finding those resourceful states of mind that, the, the, you know, and those never go absent from you. You know, if, if you're, if you're conscious and coherent, you can still have those, you know, communicative moments of, Hey, let's, let's talk about, it. you remember, you know, and this is a good time to, to, to have, have a reflection of something, really big in their life. You know, remember, remember, tell me about how you, like you said, how you met grandma, you know, tell me about the time when you, when you led the March or the time that you, you know, you won the championship or that, or the time that you got to go up and have your five minutes to speak in front of others, whatever that was for them is to, to allow them to break that state of, of, wow, I'm, I'm dying. And to say, well, you know what? I still have a lot to be grateful for and a lot of things I can grab onto and say, I lived a really cool life. I, I had, I had great opportunities. There were some good things that took place and wow. What, how amazing is that? Um, so I'm glad you touched on that because it is. And, and that's what I, I know I'd found with my son. We talked a lot about stuff like that at the end. It was, it was not about like, Oh gosh, what are we going to do when you're gone or all this? It was more about like, Hey, what is there to do now? Like, what is there still left to do? What did we do that was awesome? And, and let's talk about that. Or what can we recreate? Or what new can we create um, to, to get that resourceful state of mind that definitely makes something that's not comfortable in our, you know, earthly human realm, you know, something that's very uncomfortable and turn it into a very you know, tolerable 
thing. Um, and maybe, you know, some would argue even thrive in those moments. And I've seen those moments. And that would be, I guess, another question I'd ask you, have you even seen people thrive in those final days and hours um, to, to almost a point of where it confuses the healthy? Yeah. Yeah. So two things here. Um, one more of like from a physiological perspective, um, people on the end stages of life, they'll often have what you might call a second wind very close to death where they, they, um, you know, they, somebody who's been bedridden for weeks gets up and wants to take a walk around or, you know, they suddenly peek up and, and have a couple hour conversation and they slip back into a coma. And that's very common. It's a surge of energy that's very common at the end. And as a doula, I look at that from a very spiritual perspective, but I'm sure there's also a great medical explanation that I'm not aware of. Um, but that is common. Um, but a, a personal story, it's actually one of my favorite experiences um, working with somebody at the end of their life as I was volunteering at a local, a local hospice in my community. And um, there, was, there was a person there who had been for several days in a comatose state, um, pretty, pretty out of it. And I walked into their room and all of a sudden they were sitting up and awake. And um, this individual had throat cancer, so a large tumor kind of from their, from their throat area. So it was, a it was difficult for this person to talk, but I sat next to them asked them if there was anything they need. I probably got them some juice and I was about to leave and they said, no, can you stay here with me? And I said, oh, of course, for sure. And, you know, I'm sitting there like, oh my God, what, what am I going to talk about? Like, and am I just going to ramble? What should I do? And I just kind of, you know, I took my training and I, I took my experience as a human and started talking with this person. And by the end of our time together, we, we were asking questions of each other, like, what was your first kiss? And tell me about your biggest regret and what was your favorite job? And we were having this really deep personal connection of just sharing our lives with each other, this person I'd never met before. And, and all of a sudden, you know, they told me about their career as a photographer and show me pictures and, and, you know, though it was difficult for them to talk, I, I would, after they asked me, tell me about your first kiss, I'd say, do you want to share yours? And they'd get really excited and their eyes would perk up and they would share it and as much as they could. But it was just so powerful because you could tell that this person just was so happy to have somebody there that took an interest in their life. And, and despite the fact that maybe somebody might be afraid to ask questions or ask somebody to talk like just presenting that as an option almost was very much of a relief to them and after several hours of we played games and we talked it was time i was well past my shift it was time for me to go and i found out a couple of weeks later that that was actually this person's last moments of lucidity in this life and and several days later passed away and i just thought that that was maybe the coolest experience i could ever have doing this work of, you know, being there with somebody in their last moments of energy and allowing them to just in embody what it means to be human. Wow. That's such a powerful story. Such a powerful story. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I think that's important, you know, for, for people to hear this because, you know, there's, there's still so much confusion shrouded uh, that shrouds around death and like, you know, I, I know myself, I, you know, I've, I've fortunately and unfortunately, I guess it depends on how, how you look at it, have 
experienced that even since a child. I, I watched, you know, my my grandfather pass away. I watched um, a man. I actually was walking down a sidewalk when I was 16 years old, and uh, me and a construction worker found a man on his back porch um, who had fell. He had had a heart attack, and we tried to save his life, and we pretty much watched him die. So, so these these are some kind of unique experiences I had, you know, from a young age. Um, but there are many people, you know, well into their 20s, 30s, and beyond who have never had a personal experience um, with death or the loss of a loved one. And I knew like when we had our previous conversation before, um, you know, cause we're on the subject of grief. What I'd like a lot of people to understand too, is grief doesn't necessarily just come from the death of a friend or a loved one. Like grief can come in many, many forms. And um, it, I'm curious as to if you've experienced anything external of that, let's say, I understand that your, your primary modality is helping people through the end of their life. And you've also dealt with some family members. Um, have you seen those, those different types of grief that maybe weren't directly as a result of the, the death of their loved one, but perhaps, you know, maybe something else had come around and you'd, you'd notice those different types of grief before? Yeah. Um, I think for this, what the best I can pull from is my, my personal experience with grief here. And one of, it's always interesting because when you kind of a funny example, but when you go through traumatic experiences or you in life, right, it always, always will bring up feelings of past grief. Right. And what I, the conversation we had before of, of, you know, grief, isn't just somebody dying. Grief is getting a divorce, losing your job, like losing a part of your identity. Um, you know, getting a bad haircut, right? It's, it's a lot of, it can be a lot of different things. And I, I, I hope and envision a, a society in a future someday where we can be more accepting and understanding of what grief is so that we can better address it, right? Um, but one of the things is with any sort of new grief, it will always almost stir up feelings of previous griefs, right? So I've, in my life, I've, I lost my dad on my 21st birthday unexpectedly to blood clot. And then a year and a half later, my grandpa died of pancreas cancer. And then a year later, my mom died of a drug overdose. So that's a lot to happen in a very short amount of time. Um, so, you know, obviously with every new death, it was like, oh my God, my dad died. And oh my God, my grandpa died. And now my mom died. And it brought up all of those feelings, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's to say that it's it's totally normal for people to go through something in life and feel feelings of past grief and maybe not even be able to identify them and the funny example i have of this is after my mom died i decided to chop all my hair off like i had really long hair i had long hair for many years and i'm like it's time to have short hair and i went and chopped it off and i I, God bless my friends who are so wonderful and sweet to me because I probably sobbed for like two and a half weeks over my hair, you know, getting, being gone and being really short. And my one friend said to me, God bless her soul, Sarah, you know that this isn't about the hair, right? And I'm like, I know it's not about the hair, but the hair's gone and my mom's gone and my dad's gone. I'm all alone. Now I don't have my hair anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> Let it be about the hair. So even even little things like that where we're like, wow, this is the most ridiculous thing I've probably spent any energy crying about in a way it's actually really healing because sometimes it's just too hard to, 
to to spend your time processing like every day, day in, day out, the grief of, of different losses, major losses. And when things happen, like, you know, we chop our hair off or we, you know, whatever small little frivolous thing and we break down over it, like that's a beautiful thing. We're breaking down over it because it's an outlet to let out all the other grief that's like, I need an outlet, but I can't come out because whatever it might be. So I think it is a really interesting conversation that, you know, grief, you think what you know what grief looks like, and then all of a sudden you get a bad haircut and you're like, well, okay, this is great. <laughs> you think of it. <laughs> And, you know, and here, here's, I guess a question I'd ask, what, was that resourceful for you at the time though? Like, even though you might have after that, I guess, let me back this up a little bit. First of all, before you decided how you felt about it after the haircut, when you were doing it, did that feel like something you need to do? Was that like a resourceful thing? Like I'm going to do this. And because of this, this is going to put me in a better frame of mind or a better, better place spiritually? Like, was that how that worked or how did that work? You know, like, I think when I made the decision, it was a very unconscious decision of like, I just, I need to change. Like, not that, you know, everything in my life's just changed in the past four months. I want to cut my hair off. Right. Um, but when I kind of like reflect on that experience, I think what was happening is, you know, like my mom died, I became the primary caregiver for my grandma, I had to move home, I moved her here with me. And I'm, I'm doing this caregiving by myself. And really, like, everything about my life was like, not in my control, right. So when I look back on that decision, I was like, Oh, that was like me taking control of something in my life. Like I decided I wanted to get my hair cut short. And I took control and I made that decision, right. Um, so in a way, like, although probably in the moment of like, where I'm sobbing about my hair and feeling ridiculous that I'm sobbing about my hair. Um, it didn't feel very resourceful, but I, I think looking back on it, it actually was a really great outlet because up until that point, I had no time to grieve. Like my mom died. I had to clean up my grandma's house. I had to find a place for her to live. I had to move her. I had to do all these things. And this probably happened about a month after I finally got back to DC where I live and um, started to, live my life again and i think in, in and of itself that was me just saying okay this is my this is my new life like i'm taking control right so it's interesting to say like when we when i think at least of a resourceful state of mind i think oh like i'm consciously like being resourceful in this moment but sometimes our subconscious brain takes care of us in ways we don't even comprehend right yeah it's i mean it's just like you know in our subconscious like i tell people sometimes you know think about right now the feeling in your left foot touching the ground if it's on the ground or if it's the air there and they're like oh i wouldn't really think about it. well that sensation's always there and it's there to serve you or just like you know your your heart continues to beat you know you continue to breathe but you don't consciously think about it, but it's there to serve you and i'd like to to think and i i personally believe that 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 can happen to you sometimes you'll do things just subconsciously like that and you look back and you're kind of like, well, it didn't seem like it made a lot of sense, but it gave you some kind of control at the time. And maybe you didn't, and, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but just as an example, like maybe that just gave you some kind of control. I know there was things I did. I went out and took nothing but a pad and a paper. When my son died about two weeks later, I took a pad, like a little pad of paper and a pencil. And I went and I walked like till, three or four in the morning. I just went out like at seven at night and I walked no drink, no music, no phone conversations. 
and I just went out and it, you know, it was kind of wet and soggy and, you know, it was just garbled stuff. I'm writing on her ideas, feelings. And when I look back on it, it's like, wow, why'd you go out and just walk in the rain? But when I really dig to the root of that, it was, it, while it seemed like it was nonsensical, it was something that my subconscious had me do. And it was resourceful for me in some strange way because it allowed me to feel like I was making a decision and I was taking control after so many months of not having control of what was happening to my son. I did, I, I, I just did that. And it was like, and I just took a walk with myself and tried to find myself again. And it ended up being something that was very resourceful to me, although it didn't make a lot of sense. So it's a little bit apples and oranges, but kind of the same idea when, when something just takes place. So if that's you out there and you're going through that, you know, obviously we're not talking about something harmful or, or bad for others, but if you just do something that seems like it's a little bit nonsensical and the next day you're like, why in the world did I do that? Or that doesn't make much sense. Don't, don't concern yourself with trying to make sense of that right now. Um, Cause it, in retrospect, you know, six months, a year, three years, five years down the road, you might go, wow, that might've saved my life or at least it helped me to feel a little bit better about who I am and where I was. And it gave me some kind of something to grab onto when I didn't feel like I had anything else. So I'm really kind of glad this come up here and these examples did because um, I'll, I'll be honest, after I took that walk, there was a point where I was like, and I, was I losing it? You know, was I a little bit crazy or something for doing this? Why did I do that? And it was something I didn't share with really too many people, but I thought there was something wrong with me. But um, the more I looked at it in retrospect, I was like, no, it was just something that allowed you to exercise some sort of control over your life and grab onto something that meant something to you, whether you realized it or not at the time. And it helped. And like, same thing with you talking about that. It gave you a sense of control of fulfillment to I'm going to, I have control of something and I'm going to do this and I'm going to take, take this by the rain, so to speak. Um, so I'm glad that come up because I, I want people to know that if things like that happen, it's okay. So uh, de definitely, you know, use it as a school to learn from, not a club to beat yourself with, as I like to say. <laughs> um, and speaking, and speaking, oh, yeah, yeah. And speaking of that, um, it, you know, that's something, you know, as, as a coach myself, um, you know, I, I was well studied in grief and I was talking, you know, I was reading an article the other day. I was talking about the, the, uh, the Kubler-Ross five stages of grief. And there is some debate on that, I think, and in, in, I guess you could call it the grief community. That sounds really strange to put it that way. But um, as the some, you know, uh, psychologists, psychotherapists, grief counselors, coaches are really about that's, that's the standard. It's like one, two, three, four, five. These are the things you do. And then there's, there's others who really denounce it and like, oh, it's, it's a bunch of hooey. This, this is nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. Um, and one of the things I did find out that I actually didn't know this um, until much more recently is that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who didn't really invent this, but she just kind of pointed it out. And this was really not for the people grieving over those who passed away. It was more for the people who were dying is from what I understand. And that she kind of, felt like it got taken out of context and there was some incongruence there with how people understood it. And she wished she would have presented it in a different way because most people just took it as like, Oh no, this is, 
when you lose someone that you love, this is what you're supposed to go through. How do you feel about that, that Kugler-Ross method and just, uh, you know, good, bad, and different? Like, what are your thoughts about that and how, how does that work or not work? Yeah. Well, thank you. That is such an interesting tidbit. I didn't, I didn't know that that was Kubaros's intention when she came up with the five stages of grief. And I think in hearing that, it makes so much sense, right? Because when you are faced with your mortality, you do go through kind of all of those, you know, the anger, depression, bargaining, finally, whatever, acceptance. And then acceptance, yeah. Right? Or maybe in the thing also is, with anything in life, like I don't, I really don't think there's a hard and fast rule for just about anything. Like we really live in the gray, right? So not everybody's going to experience all five stages when they're dying. And some people will never come to acceptance. Some people will never, you know, some people accept it right away, right? Um, but, but the way that I kind of have always looked at Kubler-Ross's framework is a, a framework, right? It's, it's, it's a, this, this could apply to you. These are, these are interesting things to take note of as you go through your experience of grief, but also knowing that it's not going to be linear. Like you're not going to go through things perfectly. It's not like you go through those things and it ends because anybody who's ever grieved anything knows like grief kind of stays with you forever. It just changes shape and form. Right. Um, and, and, and with that, we have to understand that, that, grief takes its own form right so people grief may be a lot of times like like for example after my mom died i just felt numb for like months and like couldn't cry like i eulogized every person in my family and not one tear was shed meanwhile everybody else was sobbing in the congregation and for somebody who i i mean i spend a lot of time thinking about death and grief and and reading about it and pondering it so I, I fortunately have a lot more kind of background knowledge of kind of these things. But for somebody who has just experienced a loss and they're like, oh my God, I'm feeling numb. Like, am I a monster? Like, or even more so people who feel relief after somebody dies. That is so common. When, when you watch somebody suffer who's sick or even my mom who is an addict for much of her life, like in her passing, like it is so normal to feel a sense of relief. From that and that's that's okay and I think we are a lot of times our own worst enemy in these regards and I think sometimes it's informed by by Kubler-Ross's oh there's these five stages and I'm not fitting into any of these and I'm feeling all these weird emotions um, and just knowing that it's okay whatever I always tell people who are grieving or families who are kind of going through this whatever you feel is okay right? Like it's okay what you're experiencing. It's okay what you're thinking. If you're thinking, oh my God, I can't wait for this person to die. I just want my life back. And that's a, a passing thought that you have. Like it's not, you know, two wrongs don't make, two wrongs don't make another wrong or two wrongs don't make a right or whatever the saying is to, to make yourself feel bad for like feeling bad isn't going to make you feel better, right? A lot of times like these, these things that come up during grief, it's like a wave, right? You have to ride it. And and sometimes just just being like holding space for yourself, holding space is something we do a lot as doulas, um, holding space for yourself to say, oh, okay, that's an interesting thought. I don't have to hold on to that or, or keep going with it. Maybe it just comes in and you let it go like a meditation. Um, but but the, the, the big message here is 
Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, whatever it may be, other frameworks, like the most important thing is that we have compassion for ourselves, no matter what, like unbridled love and compassion for whatever we're going through in that moment, because whatever you're going through in that moment is what you're supposed to be going through in that moment. Yeah. I, wow. That's, that's awesome. And I, and I do, I, I really agree a lot with that because I know that my experience with, with losing my son, if I would have went by the framework of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, I would have been a really confused individual because I actually came into the depression first when I found out, then I came into acceptance and then after I was accepting, for whatever reason, I began to bargain. And I was never in denial about it, to, to my knowledge. Um, and then the anger was just slight but periodic. But then it went back to acceptance. So it's like, I think it's important what you said. It's a framework. And, and what happens sometimes is when we get these, these hard lists of things that people put out, and, and, and it's not a disrespect to them. It's, it's, it's all helpful. Um, but the important thing is, is to be solid in the plan, but flexible in the approach. So it's, it's understanding that these are guidelines. These are not hard facts. Like everybody, it's a one size fits all. Um, that would be a pretty boring world. Cause it's just, it would be like if we were all the same and none of us are any different, <laughs> you know, it, it, yeah. it, there's no one. And I agree. And you said something, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it alongside. There's no one size fits all. It comes in different shapes, forms. And then, and then, of course, in a background that I have, and I know you have a, of NLP, that it, it's, about the, it's about the map of the mind and the framework of your mind. You know, for example, grief in, with a death is going to look very different to, let's say, uh, you know, a soldier who has watched 100 people die um, compared to a 36-year-old mother who loses her sister or something, and it's the first death she's ever experienced it's not a competition. It's not about, well, her, this one's worse or that one's worse or it, it's, they're both hard for both people, but in a very different way based off of the map of their reality. So I, I think that that's why it's important. And you touched on that earlier too, about to get comfortable with like talking about grief. It's, it's, it's important. I think that we, you know, it's, is it considered morbid? Well, maybe by, the standards that are set forth, but like, you know, according to whom, who decided that, you know, it's like, these are just life and death are just two things that are happening constantly. And so it's, it's something I think we need to, you know, as much as we relish a new life coming in, I'm not saying we should necessarily just be like, woohoo and excited about death. But I do think it's something that, that we should give a fair amount of attention to and, and, and try to help, those and that's my personal goal one of my personal goals is to help people to feel more comfortable with talking and conversing about that what has been through generations a taboo subject like oh we don't we don't speak of that you know that's it's uncomfortable and yeah it, it can be uncomfortable but would you agree that i mean or you give me your thoughts on it there's actually something to be gained out of it like i know personally just even talking about this is uplifting because it, it doesn't make it as scary to head towards the end of your life because you're like, wait a minute, there's, I don't have any control over this. This is going to happen one day. So 
it kind of gives you perspective, like what more can I do with my life while I have it? Even if I've got 10 minutes left, is there something I can get out of it? Right? Mm -hmm. Yes, 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 yes. One of my, <laughs> one of my favorite sayings um, is, you know, just like talking about sex isn't going to make you pregnant, talking about death is not going to make you die. Um, yeah. But it will make you more comfortable with the idea of death and, and mortality. I, um, I host death cafes um, in different, I've been doing them online since COVID, but, but the whole idea of a death cafe for those who aren't familiar is it's, it's a non-directed facilitated conversation about death where people can come into a group and just, you know, we don't, we don't plan a agenda for the day, but it just whatever comes up in the circle and people want to talk about and in the cafes I've been both participated in and facilitated, I mean, we've had a range of topics from, you know, um, from anything from planning funerals to like how you address grief to how do you feel about, um, you know, a doctor assisted death to, to spirituality and what happens after life and the meaning of life. So it's a really great, great platform for people who are, who are craving this, right? So you can, you can go on the Death Cafe's website and find thousands of them all over the world. Um, and fortunately, most of them are virtual right now, so you can join wherever you want. Um, but I think that we as a society need to make more space to confront these things and to talk about death and to, to make space for that. Um, the, it's really amazing how freeing it is when you kind of come to that place of it's like you, there's, the, how do I describe it? It's like you have this knowing inside of you that's just like looking for a place to come out. Like it wants to be expressed. You want to talk about it. It's a fear. It's a thought. It's, it's whatever it might be. And when you finally give that part of you the space to express itself, it's amazing what that can do for people. Um, it, it can help, it can help replace fear with curiosity. Um, you know, I, my dad always used to say to me, Sarah, this world can take everything from you, but it can't take your brain and your knowledge. So like allowing yourself to be educated on um, what death looks like and what it might feel like and talking to people who are dying, which newsflash, we're all dying at some rate, right? Some just sooner than others, right? <laughs> um, but being able to kind of um, approach it from a curious a beginner's mindset, as we say in NLP, and just see where that takes you is really empowering. And I'm also not going to say that I just to, you know, put this out there, like I spend a lot of time talking about death, practicing it, reading about it, studying it. I'm still petrified of dying and I'm still petrified about the people I love dying. Like I still daily have a lot of anxiety around my grandma dying or my friends getting in terrible accidents. And I think that comes with experiencing loss right you once you know it you can't unknow it and you can't unknow the sudden like the sudden nature of it but in allowing myself to express those things it's another way of kind of maybe taking control over some of those anxieties I have or not letting them rule me but letting them um giving them a place to express themselves yeah that yeah it's really all good all good points and, and it's kind of interesting. And I think that's, I think a big piece of it too is the, is tolerance for yourself, for others. Um, and it's a good example of how the differing 
aspects of, of how we view, you know, we all view and experience the conversation of death. Uh, you know, for example, you, you said, you know, that there's still parts of that, that, that really, you know, bothers you or that you have concerns with. I know personally myself, it's really strange for me, but I have a real stoic approach to it. Uh, my aunt just passed away not real long ago. Uh, uh, gosh, July, maybe June, July. It's awful. It's just time moves so fast. It's not been very long ago. And uh, she, she was 68 years old and she seemed perfectly healthy and she just died all of a sudden one day. And I remember just being very stoic to the news. Um, and it almost kind of like it separated like two parts of me. Like this one part's like, shouldn't you be a little more upset about this? And then the other part's like, you've been through this before and there's the thing. And I know we had talked about that when I talked before, I have this strange philosophy about how I handle death. We don't go over it. We, the grief of death, we don't go over it. We don't go under it. We don't go around it. I have this philosophy and some think people think it's weird, but if this works for you, take it, uh, you or anyone listening. Um, and if not, definitely, I think it's important to find your own thing, whatever that is that works for you. For me, I feel as if I kind of absorb what the gifts those people gave me, the energy that those people gave me throughout my life, the lessons, the laughs, you know, the, the, the excitements, the, the proud moments, all those things are energy that, that they gifted to me. And so as people pass on, I feel like I, I get to absorb a piece of them, of their energy forever. And then I get to carry that with me forward to not only make my life better and the people around my life, their lives better, but also to honor that person that's gone before me in a way that I keep a part of them alive by, by carrying it, like paying that forward, so to speak. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting because you hear the, diff, the kind of the differences and then you talk to five more people and you might get five different explanations on how they deal with death. Death really, for whatever reason, doesn't freak me out. Uh, not like I'm excited to, and I'm not saying if I was, you know, going to fall off a cliff or something, I wouldn't be a little bit afraid. So I, I don't want to make it like, you know, oh, I wouldn't care anyways. That's not it. It's it's just more along the lines of that. It, that it gives this contrast here that that we all have a different idea about our experiences with death and 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 the grief that comes with it and how we process that. And I think the more that that people can have conversations, much like the one we're having. Uh, the the more it can help us as a society as human beings process that and learn that however we do it as long as it's not harming us or others we have to find our own path with it and some's going to take longer than others uh, some are going to do it one way and some are going to do it the other um and again it just circles back around to earlier it's it's not a one size fits all it's uh it's almost like tailoring a suit and that's kind of like what i like to do in my coaching is I want to tailor it to you. I want to help you. However I can help you to tailor it, to fit you perfect or like a suit or a dress or whatever that is so that it fits you the way it needs to fit you. So mm -hmm. uh, that, that's my two cents on it anyways. But another question I kind of wanted to, you know, ask you about too is like, you know, we have a lot of holidays coming up no matter what your faith is. Um, you know, there, there's so many holidays coming up and, and different celebratory times uh, for people of different faiths and cultures. 
Um, and obviously with that, there often is a lot of grief that comes up because if a special time's coming up, it goes into your brain, you search the file in your brain and then it's like, Oh, I'm thinking about grandma. Oh, I'm thinking about my brother, the, the pastor. I'm thinking about my son or, or, you know, whomever my best friend. And so the people that, that can churn up old griefs um, that you may not recognize. And that might, you know, some people will be irritated or a little crabby sometimes, or some people just may be really sad a lot. Um, you know, what are your experiences with that or, or any of your ideas that you have about that uh, going yeah. through these holidays? Yeah. You know, there's something about holidays and, and death, death anniversaries, right? The, the date, the day that people died or even birthdays after somebody's passed, right? That they're, they're unarguably just difficult or, or difficult days to, to face. Um, and from, I can share like my experience, but you know, I think the, the common theme of this conversation is my experience is different from yours is different from theirs and there's no right or wrong way. So you just take the nuggets that work for you and, and create, create the rituals or whatever it might be that do. But, you know, for me, it's, it's interesting because my dad, this September was five years since he passed. So there's been kind of a lot of things, you know, I graduated college, I got my first job, I moved, I moved to a new city. Um, a lot of things that have happened that, you know, those things that you're like, gee, I really wish my dad was here for this, or I, you know, I just bought a new car, like, I wish he was here to help me. Um, and, and once again, holidays are difficult, because at least for me, growing up, holidays meant going home and being with family. Um, and as my family's gotten smaller and smaller, I've kind of had to um, redefine what, what it means to be with family, right? My family now looks a lot more like my dear friends that have stepped in to become my family. Um, my animals, as weird as that is, like spending time with them around, you know, spending time with them and, and things like that. So I've, over these past five years, I've really tried so many different things, like sometime, and it's, Honestly, there's no rhyme or reason. It's whatever feels right for me in that moment is usually my rule of thumb for these things. But um, some years, like on my dad's, dad's death anniversary, like I really think about him. I, I eat a favorite meal of his. I put something on Facebook. And other years, I'm just like, I'm not going to, I don't feel like giving this energy today. Like I don't have the space to do this this year. And, and just being okay with whatever you choose. Um, some things I've done around the holidays, I, I particularly, I celebrate Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, um, but this could be for any belief or any holiday, right? Um, I found ways to honor my family. So um, it's really interesting. My mom gave me this, uh, this decoration after my dad passed, and it, it's something along the lines of, you know, it's a sign with a little empty chair by it, and, you know, it says something like, for those who aren't here at Christmas, like, don't worry, we'll be here in this chair, but it, it's a much more rhyming and better written um, than what that when I recited. Um, and when I first got it, I was like, oh, this is great. Thank you. And, and then I kind of like packed it away and, and suddenly uncovered it after last year, my first Christmas without her. And it, it brought so much more meaning. I was like, oh my God, like you gave this to me for my dad and now it's for you too. So, or somebody mad, like a a nurse that my mom used to work with mailed me a wreath 
that my mom made and gave to all of her nurses and I hang that up now. So the things, that, and even if you look around my apartment, there's pictures of my family everywhere and different things that remind me of them. So for me, what really works is I like to have reminders of my family around me because like you said, that energy lives on. Like I, when I look at them every day, I think of them and I feel them around me. And that makes me feel really comfortable. And although I really love to be snuggling on the couch, drinking hot cocoa, watching a stupid Hallmark movie with my mom, um, physically, we're not able to do that anymore. But maybe like in some spiritual world, she's here with me. And I, I take comfort in, in that. But, but I say that to say that whatever your belief is or however you view people after they die or what, and also the, the idea that like your relationship with somebody after they die does not end, right? It's not like my mom died and I'm done, like, oh, we're done. This is over. Moving on next. It's, it's evolving. It's like, you know, two years of like really grappling with the fact that my mom was an addict and what did that mean? And like having anger towards her and then having understanding and, and coming to a place of, forgiveness right and then sometimes still feeling angry about it it's it's an evolving thing and even though she's not here to like for me to give that to her right it's she's somewhere in my in my belief for me to share that with her and and, and I talk to her all the time right that's another thing I do is all right dad like what do you want to tell me today like how's it going or whatever it might be but but if that doesn't work for you and you'd rather just you know put it out of your mind and not think about the fact that they're here for Christmas, or if you want to go visit their grave site, or if you want to um, go volunteer at their favorite charity, donate to their charity, write about them. Um, If you want to do things for yourself, like go get massages, like take care of yourself, whatever it might be, it's okay, right? That's the theme of the day, like whatever works for you. But some ideas are doing things to remember them, writing letters to them, And most importantly, like, I don't want to not, I want to make sure we address this, but like self-care around the holidays, around death anniversaries, around big events, it's so important. And, and self-care is different for everybody. And I know we love to say like, oh, taking a bath and whatever it might be, which yes, that's probably part of your self-care routine, but like also self-care is like being able to parent yourself and say, well, maybe, you know, like I'm not feeling great today. Maybe like drinking a whole bottle of wine is not going to make me feel good either. Right. Like maybe I should drink some water and go to bed early and like, let, like let myself feel good. So self-care doesn't always feel good in the moment, but it's things you can do to make you feel good over a long period of time. Um, so I wanted to make sure we touch on that, especially as we go into a difficult time of year and an even more difficult time because we're living in the middle of a pandemic um, that the world is experiencing, right? And and taking care of yourself and creating rituals and experiences that help to um, to comfort that part of you are so important this year and every year. Yeah, and I, I just th- thank you so much, and I, I love that you touch on that stuff. And one of the things that you said, I want to touch on uh, to the listeners too that that I find real important. And you said this was you talk about you know you'll go through these things where you know, you'll have anger sometimes even at someone after death. And I know there was a time I, I had a friend a few years back that uh, unfortunately he committed suicide. He was a young man. He was uh, 29. He just turned 29. He's deathly af- afraid of getting old. Like he just, he was like, Oh God, 30. And I, you know, kind of laughed a little bit, but, but, but that was important to him. And he ended up, he ended up committing suicide. And I remember like being so sad for him, but I, 
But I also still sometimes to this day, I'm like, why'd you do that? That you, 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 you cheated yourself. And what I want people to know about that is, is for a while I beat myself up over it. Like, how dare you be angry with him? Cause you have no idea what he went through. And this was, you're being selfish to yourself. And I thought, no, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. It's okay. Sometimes you have to process those feelings because think about it. It's like, we don't get as upset at ourselves if someone's alive and we get angry at them. We're just like, Oh, well they'll get over it or I'll get over it or we'll get over it. But it's like, Oh, I can't be, I can't be angry sometimes at somebody who's dead because that would be disrespectful. And it's just my opinion, but I'm not so sure that's true. I think, I think it's, it's fine because you have to go through those emotions and, you know, and then I get to thinking, another thing I do is I get to thinking about when I die, whatever you're feeling about me, that, that needs, I think that needs to happen. You know, if, if you're like, you know, I'm, I'm really upset. You should have been here longer. It wasn't fair. Then you need to process that feeling. Don't beat yourself up for that. You know, that, oh, well, I, I, I can't be upset with them because they're dead and that would be disrespectful. You've got to allow yourself to go through this in a way that works for you. And yeah, is too much of any one thing unhealthy? Possibly. But with that being said, you're going to have this range of emotions. And again, going back to what we said, there's no one size fits all. It's a framework. So let's allow yourself to do the things you need to do. Just if it's, if it's, if it's anxious or, or depressive, just don't stay there too long. It's like a rule I have. I, I have this 90, 10 rule. It's like, I don't spend more than 10% of my time in the past or in the future. I spend 90% of my time in the present because if you spend too much time in the past, that's where the depression lives. If you spend too much time in the future, that's where the anxiety lives. If you can spend as much time as you can being present and allowing yourself to feel and be the way you are, even if it does result from something past or present, you can find your palace of peace in the present. And, and so it's okay to use both of those to illustrate a point. Uh, but if it's the future, place your bet, let it ride. If it's the past, use it, find, find the joy, find the lesson in it, and then come back to now and say, how can I make this work in my life now? And how, how can I do the best I can do? Even if I'm having a terrible day, what can I do? Um, so I'm glad you brought that, that up about, you know, that, that anger part. And then too, about, you know, the, the holidays and COVID and everything that's piling up. So that, that's something I would want people to know too. There's a lot of really good people out there. And I know we're, we're not shown that a lot in the media and social media, a lot of fighting and a lot of anger, but I, I can personally attest to the fact there are some really superhuman beings out there. And there's a lot of them, a lot more than, than you might think if you're listening. So please reach out if you, if you're having challenges it, it, because that's grief. You're experiencing grief. And that's part of the topic of what we're doing. It, again, it doesn't have to be about death. It could be about long. You could be grieving the fact that you've been stuck inside for six months and, and you, you got cabin fever and you're like, I miss going to the baseball game. I miss going to the concert. You know, I miss having picnics or having get togethers or going to the festival or what, whatever it is you're into. It's, it's, it's challenging. Everybody walks a tough road. And, and I want people to make sure that you get the resources. And, and if you don't have those, message me at uh, jsykes at believebuildconquer.com. That's uh, 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 J-S-Y-C-K-S at believebuildconquer.com. 
and and I'll be happy, you know, whether no matter what that is, I mean, even up to and including, you know, suicide, God, God forbid that's on your mind, uh, talk to somebody about it. Just don't, don't let that stuff fester up inside. Um, you know, if you know someone else that's going through it, if you don't know that you're, that you're capable of handling that, um, reach out. There's people there. There's people like myself. There's people like Sarah. There's people that, that understand that there, there's, there's, you know, there's no shame in getting help. As I can tell you, as a life coach myself, I need life coaches. I need therapists. Sometimes I need people that I can talk to because I have the same fears and doubts and worries that many of the rest of us have, because I'm just a human being too. Um, so don't be afraid. And there's no shame and no blame in reaching out when you're having these challenges because grief can really rip you up if you let it. Um, and the best thing to do is just to try to, to allow those feelings to have, let them pass and find someone that you can talk to um, that will help you. Even, even if it's just a friend, they don't have to be trained. Just sometimes just letting someone talk is important. Sometimes just giving someone mm -hmm. a hug and, you know, telling them you love them. It's, it's, it's big and don't, don't be too afraid to do that um, because even the littlest things can make the biggest deal to someone. And that, that circles again, back around to like, uh, you know, the person you were talking about at the end of their life, talking about the first kiss and, and things like that. Like never discount those little things because we're all walking and marching towards a certain end of this existence. And why should it be different today than it is if I'm going to die 30 years from now, like if, if we're better to each other and we take care of each other and we understand grief more then then there's, there's so much to be learned from that. And there's so much healing in life that can come from that, that will make death maybe not as bad of a thing as we sometimes make it out to be. So, but uh, thank I you also, so much. Yeah, go ahead, please. I just have one more thing to add to that. Um, if you are on the person who is on the receiving end of somebody talking to you, like it's okay to not know what to say. It's okay to not know, you know, maybe not have the same experience as that person or having the answers. I know that's something that we as humans, we love to have answers. We love to solve problems. We love to help people through that. But just like you said, Jeremy, the, there's something so important and sacred about being there to listen and just listen without judgment, without wanting to solve something, without needing, feeling like you have to say something just pure listening to somebody and, and letting them share their experience with you is probably one of the most healing things you can do for somebody. So if you are, and during this time, during the holidays, whenever in your life on the receiving end of somebody reaching out to you, just know it's, it's okay to not know. It's okay to not have answers, but you are doing a great service to somebody just by listening to what they're going through. Wow. Thank, thank you so much for adding that. I, I just, I so appreciate it because uh, it, it's, it is, it matters and, and our lives matter. And it's, it's important that people know that, you know, I, I don't ever want anybody to think that they're alone because no matter how alone you think they are, there's somebody that's willing uh, to talk with you about your grief and work with you. So, but I just, it's been such a pleasure having you on here again. I would love to have you on again at some point soon. I, um, just your wealth of knowledge and, it, and I just absolutely love what you do for people because it's simply not easy. If it was, a lot more people would do it. But you, you, you walk a, a tough road and do a tough, tough thing. But you, you've got this big heart and you, and you really are, 
are looking out for how you can help people through this because, you know, you've went through it and uh, I'm just so grateful to you for that. So, so thank you so much. And if you don't mind, like, is it, you know, whatever, if you, do you have anything coming up, anything specific you're doing, if not, not a big deal, how can people uh, look you up or get in contact with you? Cause uh, I just, I think you're amazing and you could, you could be good for a lot of people. Well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much for having me on today. This was such a great conversation. I love, I love the energy. I love the, you know, where we went with it and I'd love to be on whenever you want me. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do every now and then host workshops for different nonprofits. I host death cafes and I'm always available. If just as Jeremy said, if, if you need somebody to talk to, if you're going through a loss, you're not sure how to handle estate things. I'm, I'm always here. Um, and you can reach me at my email, which is um, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at districtdoula.com. And that's D-I-S-T-R-I-C-T, doula, D-O-U-L-A.com. Um, and I'd be happy to, to whatever it is you, you need to talk or, or figure out in here. So thank you again so much for this opportunity. I really enjoyed today's conversation. Oh, well, th- thank you. The, pl- the yeah, I, I really appreciate you being on. And uh, yeah, this, this is, this is the embodiment of, of believe, build, conquer. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of different types of folks. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to the military veterans, to, to coaches, uh, to martial arts instructors. There's, there's lots of people I, I've talked to, um, about their experiences with believe build conquer and that that's my philosophy that, that we can believe in ourselves and, and others that we can build upon skills and techniques and that we can conquer our fears and our dreams and there's no one way to do that there's a lot of ways you can do that and i love that that you you are you are believing building and conquering uh your mission to to, to help help those um, in the end of their life. And, you know, God love you for that. That's just, that's really amazing. So thank you again so much for being on today, Sarah. And is there any uh, final thoughts or anything that, that you have for today? Oh, you know, I think, I, I think right. What you said there is I've had a lot of different people on, on the show from different walks of life. And, and the, the commonality is we're all human. We're all going through a, a human experience may be similar, may be different from those around us, but none of us are impervious, impervious to grief, to loss, to, to trials and tribulations. And if, if you so let yourself believe, build and conquer, there's really nothing that you can't, can't achieve in this world. So thank you again for what you do. No, thank you. I, I appreciate it. And, you know, that was one of the parting things on this subject of grief um, it was one of the things my greatest mentor is my son uh, that passed away back in 2012. And the one thing that he said that was really profound to me, he said, dad, it's, it, it's okay to be sad, but don't be lazy. Get up and do something bold, ba- brave and beautiful for yourself and those around you every day and honor those that go before you. And I was like, this kid can't be 12, <laughs> but he was, and that's what he said. And, uh, and another thing he said, uh, people need to learn how to hold on to a minute and use every bit of the time that's in it. And uh, that, that, that would be my parting words to folks would be, um, you know, yeah, it, it's okay. It's okay to grieve with, with your heart and your sadness, but, but stand, stand up and keep moving forward because you still have a legacy to leave and people need you more than you think. So 
I love you folks out there. Thank you again so much for your time today, Sarah. Everybody go out there and believe, build, conquer your life. Uh, and be that Vita Bellator, that life warrior. You can do it. And I uh, so much appreciate all of you for coming out today. Believe, build, conquer, and have a wonderful day. Take care, everybody.